All right. Well, let me go ahead and say happy Sabbath to everyone. I know something you don't know. You look amazing. You don't get to see from where I'm standing. But I mean, just the beauty in such a wonderful display of diversity, not merely for who you all are, but also because of our cultural garments in which we are wearing. And then we have an opportunity to capture it all on photo. So this afternoon or later on today, we're looking forward to taking that photo one with another, but I just want you to all, you all look amazing. And it's not only because of colors of clothing and hair well done, etc., but it's because of the grace of God that is evidently shining upon your hearts. And I am very thankful that today we're going to have an opportunity to go through the word of God and we're going to consider some things uh, that I believe are very important and I believe heaven believes are very important for us to hear at such a time as this in earth's history. And so as we prepare our hearts to receive the message, unity in diversity, I believe the best way to begin is with a word of prayer. And so I'm going to be kneeling to do that, and I'd like to invite as much of you as are able to, to please kneel with me as we go ahead and have a moment of prayer together. Our Father in heaven, the prayer of Jesus in John 17 will take place. We will be one. And we know that it will be only because of the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we ask you for the forgiveness of our sins and we pray for his presence, not merely to come in the building, but to especially come within our hearts. Teach us, Lord, how we may be one, one with another. For This is our prayer that we do ask in the worthy and mighty name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen. 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 I will tell you that uh, I want to let you in on a little bit about me that you probably never knew this, would have never known this. But uh, in my earlier years, growing up in New York City, living, you know, the lifestyle that I lived, growing up in the home that I grew up in, uh, unfortunately, the seeds of bigotry was planted within my heart. I don't believe a single child is born in this world a bigot. A bigot is something that is made, and it's made, unfortunately, under foul teachings. And so I grew up in hostility, and I remember my brother joined an offshoot Islamic group. They were called Nuwabians, and the Nuwabians were very attractive, for many reasons. They fully embraced hip-hop culture. They, you know, taught a lot of things that was, they felt was erroneous with the Bible. And it was very attractive to my brother. And he began to speak a little bit of this jargon. And before you know it, I began to embrace some of it as well. I remember my brother asked me a question. This is when he was trying to plant these seeds of bigotry because my father was a man from the South. And so, you know, growing up in the South, Southern black community, almost everybody's Christian. And so it is that, you know, dad grew up with a Christian bring upbringing. My mother was from the beautiful Virgin Islands, first from Anagata, moved over to St. Thomas, and then eventually came over here to the U.S. And I remember my mother was the daughter of a Methodist pastor. And so they both had Christian upbringing. So even though I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I ever so often would hear things about the Bible or a reference to God. So when my brother joined or started to talk with these guys in this movement, I remember he said, Dwayne, let me ask you a question. And I said, what's the question? He said, every picture of Jesus you've ever seen, what color is he? I said, he's white. He said, have you ever seen paintings with angels? I said, yeah. He said, what color are they? I said, white. He said, you ever seen patriarchs and prophets and apostles and everybody? And he, and he said, I said, yeah. And he said, well, what color are they? And I said, white. And he said, that's why that book you're holding is a white man's book. Because evidently you and our people are not in here. <laughs> 
And I remember being young and terribly ignorant, so I was just like, whoa, man, I never thought about that. And before you know it, I bought into the lie, because I assure you, it's a lie. And I remember buying into that lie, and before you know it, I started to say, well, you know what? Christianity is for them, but not for us. And God was so good that he knew that I got to a place in my life that I was genuinely seeking him. Genuinely seeking him. And I was like a lot of young black kids growing up in the city, especially inner city or any of that. And you want to find out your identity. You want to know who are you? Sadly, today, young people of many groups and ages and cultures, they don't know who they are. And that's why we often merge ourselves into the vision of our parents and others rather than in the vision that God has for us. Well, here it is that as a young man trying to seek out myself and understand things, I started listening to a guy named Malcolm X. And that really made things complicated. And so I remember, I just want you to understand that God, our father, your father in heaven, he is such an amazing creator, such an amazing father. And he knows how to meet you where you're at. I felt so deeply in love with this figure of Malcolm X that I wanted to be like him. I remember that I would often see pictures where he would have his two fingers like this and he would rest it on his face when he would, you know, be thinking or sitting down. So I started to watch him. I watched many of his videos. And I remember I got to a point that I found myself doing this all the time. You know, I'm not even leaning on something. You know, it makes more sense if you're leaning on something to do. Not when you're standing up. That just... But I mean, even when I'm walking around standing up, a brother just got his hands like this, right? And uh, I remember I got to this point where I just said, Lord, I need to know who you are. Are you Allah? Are you Jesus? I don't care if you're a head of lettuce. I just want to know who you are. And I remember that God did something special. A friend of mine found a flyer on the street. And guess what it had a picture of? It had a picture of a man who looked just like Malcolm X and his hand was on his face just like this. And the study that night in a tent meeting just moments away from me was called The African-American and the Pig. I'll never forget that sermon. And I was like, this is a Christian group. And I went to go hear that sermon, and he began to show Afrocentricity in the Bible. He began to show that not everybody was Caucasian. First of all, they were Jews. And Jews were olive-skinned people. And, you know, and he began to impart all this education that was kind of like opening my mind piece by piece and point by point. And as I began to go through all of this, I realized that I said, wait a minute. We have identity in the Bible, too. And as I began to accept Jesus and grow in his grace, it got to a point that I realized we're one race of many different colors. And so the whole idea of racism and all these other things was built upon falsehood and lies. And it's powerful how true education can help shift our gears and give us a greater understanding. For as I became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian and got into the church, and granted, I was following this uh, minister who was very powerful and I now saw some identity. I got to this other phase that I felt like, and, and, and please forgive me, you know, again, I'm just testifying. The man that I'm testifying about is dead. Amen. Are you following that? Amen. There's a new man that stands before you in Christ. I actually believe that the only people that brought about deep knowledge were black people. So I remember reading four books that I was given shortly after my baptism. Reaping the Whirlwind, Enemy at the Gate, Creeping Compromise, and then Answers to Difficult Bible Texts, all written by the same author by the name of Joe Cruz. So I'm reading these books, and I'm loving every bit of it. I said, whoever this brother is, he is deep, must be a black guy. Because remember, that was my mind. My mindset said only black people do deep stuff. So God was patiently working with me. He knew that, Dwayne, you really believe some foolish things. But God says you're not the first foolish person I've dealt with. And so God had no problem walking me through this process because he knew what was going to be the end result. So what ended up happening is before you know it, 
I remember I was watching one of my favorite television stations, BET, Black Entertainment Television. And boy, does God have to have a sense of humor. Because it was one morning that I decided to turn on BET that I saw a white gentleman, silverish hair, and he had on a board 538 to 1798, Revelation 1217, he had the word remnant. And at this time, I'm like, hey, I know that language. It's like I knew exactly, I said, I know wherever this guy, whoever this guy is, I know exactly what he's putting up on that screen. And next thing you know, he's teaching, and I'm, I'm listening to this brother like, this guy's pretty good. And uh, he starts breaking the word down more, and I'm like, uh, this guy's really good. And then next thing you know, his name pops up on the screen, Joe Cruz. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, Joe Cruz, the white brother? I said, man, God can use all of us. And do you know, it was through these experiences that God, and I emphasize this word, cured me of my bigotry. To show me that he can work through any and everybody. But you know what I appreciate about God? Is he met me where I was. And then he took me up higher where now I have a higher understanding. Do you know, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people today that we need to meet them where they are and then give them understanding and take them higher in the Lord as they are prepared to receive it. And this is the reason why I dare not allow this month of February, known throughout the United States of America as Black History Month. There's no way that I would just let this month just go by without giving an appropriate and respectful emphasis to why these things still have some degree of relevance today and how in the church we can adopt the good from these things and leave the bad. One of the accusations that is often made of why many people are against the Bible is because they say things like it endorses slavery. You will especially hear that of those in the black community if you try to reach them, that you will hear that. Now, of course, in the black community, the black church is very huge, but there are also classes that totally are against this. One of the reasons why is because of a misreading of texts of scripture that talk about masters and servants and these type of things. Would to God that we have more masters and servants according to the biblical order. If we understood the master and the servant relationship in the scripture, we would have no problem with that as sensible Christians because the masters were not called to be oppressive. The servants were not losing and voiding their individuality. It reflected nothing like that. In fact, do you know Exodus 21? Look at what it says. It says, and he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So this verse alone crushes the whole ideology of the slavery that we've seen when we think about the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade. It, it, it completely crushes it because that's exactly what happened. And so there's a community of people today that believe that they will reject the Bible and they don't want the Bible because they'll say, no, 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 no. The Bible endorses slavery where here goes God's word saying, nope, actually, God says he hates it and he puts the most severe punishment on those who try to practice it. Not only that, the Bible also says in Exodus 22, 21 through 24, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. God is serious when he speaks about being oppressive. God is serious when he talks about any class of people oppressing another class of people. In fact, you will also see that the Bible says in Deuteronomy 24, 14, you shall not oppress even a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your town. Sometimes employers think 
that the more that somebody works for them, they can talk to them any way they want. They can disrespect them and so on, but not so. That's not what the Bible says. I want you to see the mind, the character, and the personality of your God. I want us to understand these things because you're going to see where I'm going with this in just a moment. In fact, the Bible also says in Proverbs 14 and verse 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. This is the truth of how God feels when we deal with the subject of slavery and oppression and these type of things. And we know that slavery is not something that started here in America, for sure. We know that this thing goes way back in the Bible, even to the days of Egypt. It was in Egypt that the Hebrews were brought into slavery for over 400 years. And this was not God's plan. Always remember the difference of what I'm about to share here. There are things that happen in our lives that there are things that is God's will, meaning he ordained it, he planned it, he wanted it to go this way. There are things that God ordains, but then there are things that God allows, and they are different. There are some things that God allows. So again, I'll tell you about a brother of mine named Elgin. He's a gentleman that I knew. Elgin dealt drugs and sold drugs around our area for Oh my, over 15, 20 years. He was a drug dealer. But then Elgin one day is parked at a red light and he didn't know that that parking at the red light was his day of death because another car came right by the same red light and he's minding his business and he didn't realize that they had their eyes on him. And when they were both at that light, that person just immediately took their gun, da -da 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 -da, shot him up, and then kept going. Kali was another guy in our neighborhood who was even worse than Elgin. And Kali dealt drugs even more after Elgin's murder. But eventually, guess what? He stopped and he turned his life around completely. Now watch this. All those years that Kali was selling drugs, did God ordain for him to do that? Absolutely not. But did God allow it? Yes, he did. He didn't stop him. He allowed it. But in time, he also knew Kali's going to turn things around and get his life right. There are things that God ordains and then there are things that God allows. And never, ever confuse God's mercy with his will. For all those years that Kali was selling drugs and still able to wake up the next day to do it again, God was merciful to him. But that was not God's will for him. Are you following that? I'm serious. For, hey, listen, what I know I'm teaching you is deep because there's a lot of times that we make decisions in our lives to do or not do certain things because we haven't seen judgment yet. There's a lot of times we continue doing certain things, even though it might be a bad thing. And all God was doing was being merciful to us. This can be something as simple as staying up late every night. When you stay up late, night after 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 night, brothers and sisters, we're creating an atmosphere where sooner or later something's going to hit. And something bad is going to happen. And all that's happening the days before where there was no diagnosis yet, it was God being merciful. But it's not his will that we keep staying up late night after night after night after night after night. Don't confuse God's mercy with God's will. Go to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Let me show you how Solomon, that wise man, put it. It was very deep. And I want you to see what he says. In Ecclesiastes, we're considering the 8th chapter. And I want you to watch how the Bible articulates it. It's very, very beautiful. This is a very powerful and practical lesson. If you want to really know some powerful life lessons, study Proverbs and study Ecclesiastes. I mean, just filled with wisdom. It was in Ecclesiastes, the eighth chapter, right there in the 11th verse, that this is what God says. In Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11, it says, because sentence against a what kind of work? Aha, it says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed, how? Speedily, it says, therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set. 
in them to do evil. It's like the heart becomes harder. And God says, no, 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 that's not the plan. Just because he didn't execute the judgment quickly, that was not supposed to be a message of encouragement to keep doing the bad thing. Are you following, family? You get what I'm saying? So there are things that God is just merciful through the process, but it was not his will. God never wanted his people to become slaves. God made his people to be free and to be free indeed. But unfortunately, slavery became a reality amongst the Hebrews. And when it did, eventually, you know, the, we, we have the wonderful Exodus story of how God, through a mighty hand, delivered his children. And when God delivered his children, he gave them things that was designed to remind them, to commemorate the great deliverance. He gave them the feast of Passover and he gave them the seventh day Sabbath. And in both of these cases, it would remind them. Now, let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 12. Let's take a look at this. In Exodus, the 12th chapter, we would see something here. Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus, the 12th chapter, we're going to consider the verses on the screen. Exodus 12, 25, and then 13, 8. In Exodus 12 and verse 25, we, we have this story here of when the children of Israel, as God was preparing to deliver them, this is the final judgment that he was going to bring upon Egypt. And when God was going to bring this judgment upon Egypt, we see that he gave them the story of the Passover. And here's what it says. In Exodus 25 and verse uh, or Exodus 12, rather, verse 25. If you're there, say amen. amen. After God gave them the instructions on the blood upon the doorpost, etc., God then said in verse 25, And it shall come to pass, when ye be gone to the land, which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. So God made it clear. After I've done this Passover, I want you to keep this service. I want this thing to be something that you're going to do onward and onward throughout your generations. We go down to Exodus 13, right there in verse 8. And it says in Exodus 13 and verse 8, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto uh, me when I came forth out of Egypt. So literally, this Passover was a feast that was designed to remind them of that mighty deliverance that God did. Now, when it comes to the Sabbath day, Exodus 28 through 11 is good, but go to Deuteronomy 5. Let me show it to you from that text. In Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, once again, notice what God did. I want you to see that God actually endorses the idea of having time periods, holidays, or anything of that nature that can remind us of how his hand has delivered his people. The Bible says in the book of Exodus, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy, we're in chapter 5, and I want us now to consider verses 12 to 15. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, we see this again. It says, keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that the manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And then verse 15. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. And that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Now, God gave the Sabbath day. God gave Passover to be reminders to his people that you were once slaves in Egypt. But it was through my mighty hand that I have delivered you. And this was something that God wanted them to experience because God understood the mind. You see, anytime there's slavery, there's two deliverances, never just one. The first deliverance is from the actual physical oppression. If somebody's holding you down, the first thing you need is you need to get them off of you. But then after someone holds you down and you get them off of you, then you need a freedom of mind from the trauma that they have inflicted on you. So whenever somebody was in bondage, there is a need for freedom. 
The freedom is not only supposed to be a physical freedom, but it is also to be a mental spiritual freedom as well. The reason I say this is because even when the children of Israel were made free from the physical bondage and location of Egypt, unfortunately, they were still slaves of Egypt in their minds. Even when they were free, all it took was a little bit of struggle. I'm talking about small struggle. And when they took that when they went through that struggle, here's what the Bible says. It says, and the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord where? In the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The folks just got a little hungry and all of a sudden, they're remembering Egypt as if it was a good place to be, a better place to be. Would to God that we could go. All they were was hungry. And here it is that they're already having Egyptian flashbacks. It got to the point that they actually communicated this in Numbers 14, 4. And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. They're literally, they, they're literally ready to dethrone Moses, dethrone God from their hearts, Appoint another human captain and say, show us how to go back through the Red Sea and get back home to Egypt. And this is why, family, when an individual goes through oppression, never, ever just address the physical. Do you know this is true even in medical missionary work? You never, ever just address a person's disease as it relates to what's going on physically. You have to address their state of mind. Why? Because we learned that 90% of diseases have their foundation in the mind. Yes, and we do each other a disservice when all we do is minister to the body and not check what's going on from the neck up. God wants us to know that when Jesus makes a man or makes a woman free, oh yes, they're free indeed. They're not just free from, you know, I, I know people who put blocks on their phones because they don't want to see bad stuff. They have accountability partners, that friend that calls you that one hour out of a 24-hour day to say, hey, you holding it down? But brothers and sisters, you got another 23 hours without your friend. What you going to do then? That's why I'm telling you the truth. The way that healing works is you got to address that mind. As much as we put effort in everything else, you got to address that state of mind. Because the state of mind is what often gets us in the most trouble. And so here goes the children of Israel. They are needing a freedom of mind. And do you know the master physician comes to this world? His name is Jesus. And when that master physician comes to this world, he knew exactly what his work was. And watch how he articulates it. You see, Jesus said something very powerful. He said, and you shall know the truth. And he said, and the truth is going to make you what? Free. Now watch this. They respond back, man, we're Abraham's seed. And we have never been in bondage to any man. First of all, that's a lie. So already the heart is deceitful, right? Because they're like, uh, excuse me, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. And now you're in Rome. It's like, what do you mean you've never been in bondage? Yes, you are in bondage. So that, that's what sin does. It messes your head up. Doesn't allow us to think straight, right? Well, here it is that it says, we've never been in bondage to any man. So how sayest thou we shall be made free? Jesus responds back. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the bondman to sin. He's dealing with a different slavery. You see, Egypt is not just a location. You remember that in Exodus 20, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You see, Egypt represents bondage. Egypt can represent sin. And that's what sin is, isn't it? It binds us. It holds us. Even when we have a desire to be made free, we find ourselves slaves. But here comes Jesus and he comes along and he says right there, he says, listen, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. That's the bondage that you're in. Then he says, and the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son does abide forever. Therefore, he concludes, if the son shall make you free, you shall be free. How? 
Indeed, Jesus wanted to give a freedom that was way deeper than just having shackles removed from the hands. Jesus wanted to give a freedom that resides right there in the mind. Because, brothers and sisters, when you have a freedom of mind, even when you have shackles on your hands, you can still be free. The highest freedom that God wants to give is that freedom of mind, that deliverance from bondage-like thinking. And that's what God wanted to deliver his people from when he brought them out of Egypt. And that's what God wants to do with you and I, who has brought us out of the Egyptian bondage of sin. He wants to free your mind. Now watch this. In Matthew 13, you find that Jesus's focus point in his work was spelled out very nicely. In Matthew 13, the Bible says, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Then he goes on and he says, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be what? Converted. And then what can he finally do? Now he can heal them. This is what God wants to do, not only with his people of old. This is what God wants to do with us now. This is why when I do marriage counseling, brothers and sisters, I take my time with people, man, because I'm like, look, I had one guy come to me. Brother Lemon, I want you to do marriage counseling. I was like, OK, um, you know, let's set it up. And then as we're trying to set it up, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah but I only got like two weeks. And I was just like, nope, not going to work. He's like, you know, you can't give me the fast version. I was like, brother, there is no fast version. I said, what you getting ready to end up in, you might interpret it as bondage. If you don't go in it intelligently. And you cannot rush this thing because we go through bondage. We've never been made free. We have the audacity to now bring somebody into our bondage. And we wonder why not one in 100 marriages results happily. We wonder why that was written in inspired writing. God wants us to be free first, free here. And then when we're free here, man, you're free to love now. Telling you, brothers and sisters, when you're free here, you are free to love as God loves. And that's what every marriage deserves is a man and a woman that's free. All that past stuff has been dealt with. God has given victory and we are free to love that individual like Christ loved the church or as the church is to love Jesus. That was always God's plan. And so I want you to see that when Jesus came. While the Jews was like, get us out of this Roman yoke, Jesus said, I'm going to get you out of the thing that brought you into the Roman yoke. See, go to Proverbs 14. You see, there was a principle that the Jews of Christ's day did not understand. But Jesus understood it perfectly. You remember it was in Daniel, Daniel 9. You don't have to turn there. You're going to Proverbs 14. But in Daniel 9, you'll remember that Jesus, he, uh, he, he, I'm sorry, Daniel, he was praying to God and intercessing because he just had this startling vision in Daniel 8, didn't fully understand it. So now he's finding himself intercessing in Daniel 9, 1 through 16. And when Daniel, or well, actually beyond 16, but in verse 16, Daniel says, Lord, we, Israel, have become a reproach to you. Right. What does that word reproach mean? Proverbs 14 in Proverbs 14 in verse 34. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 in verse 34, righteousness does what to a nation? Ah, yes. Righteousness exalts a nation. But then he says, but sin is a what? Ah, it's a reproach to how many people? To any people. You understand that? Reproach. So when Jesus came, he says, man, I'm here to make y'all free. But they were like, yes, yes, take down those Romans. And Jesus was like, no, I'm going to take down the thing that brought you under the yoke of the Romans. And that's what he came to free us from, from sin, from the bondage, the slavery of sin. Amen. And so it is. Some people got it. But most didn't. I transitioned. The transatlantic slave trade. 
terrible, ungodly, demon-possessed people to do such a horrific atrocity that the black community will never forget. As long as there's black people, they're always going to remember this. And it was a terrible, tragic thing. There was no justification for it. And woe be unto those who try to represent a justification for it. And I'm not here to rehearse the whole, you know, several, several years of, of you know, decades and so onward of, 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 of the tragic things that took place. I think, we, I think that I'm, I'm standing before an intelligent group of people that we all agree this was evil. Now, a day finally came, the 13th Amendment. When the 13th Amendment came, here it is, that we find the 13th Amendment passed by the Senate on April 8th, 1864, by the House on January 31st, 1865, and ratified by the states on December 6th, 1865. It abolished slavery within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Congress required former Confederate states to ratify the 13th Amendment as a condition of regaining federal representation. So, you know, this would be a day, at least in theory, to rejoice over. Because it was an official statement that slavery throughout the nation. Of course, you know, there were freedoms first in the North, and then obviously the South was still very oppressive, and that's why a lot of people from the South were making their way up North. Nevertheless, a time eventually came where throughout the entire land, it was voted that slavery is now officially being abolished. I am very thankful that when I look at the history of the church that I'm privileged to be part of, when I look at these individuals, and as you can see, while none of these individuals are from the quote-unquote black community, they were abolitionists. They put their lives, their money, their effort, their everything on the line to say slavery is wrong, slavery is evil, equality belongs to all because all are children of God. I am glad to be part of a movement that has a history of non-black people fighting for the help and the encouragement and the building up of communities outside of their own. I'm very grateful that, that that's part of my history as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And here it is that, of course, the slavery came to an end in theory, but as we learn with the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, it's very interesting how the shackles did get removed from the ankles but there was still a lot of shackles around the mind. There was not only, because remember we talked about it, when there is a healing process, you don't just heal the body. You have to also address what? The mind, you gotta address the mind. That's how people are made whole. And it was through this that as we began looking at this and said, okay, that it was the reason why today there was something birthed in 1915. It started out just a day and then a week, and then eventually, in the night, later 1900s, 1960s, 70s, it became a month. This is the reason why there was Black History Month. Here's the breakdown. The story of Black History Month begins in 1915, half a century after the 13th Amendment abolished slavery in the United States. Then, the sep that September, the Harvard-trained historian Carter G. Woodson and the prominent minister, Jesse E. Moreland, founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, an organization dedicated to researching and promoting achievements by black Americans and other peoples of African descent. The emphasis of what was uh, trying to be accomplished in relation to why Black History Month exists was to always fight oppression and to commemorate achievement. That's not bad. Here's where we can bring greater balance. We will not celebrate what men and women did, but we will celebrate or thank God or commemorate what God accomplished through men and women. Are you following that difference? 
This is how we begin to be a bit of that game changer. We're not here to commemorate the greatness of man. We are here to commemorate the greatness of God as he worked through the instrumentality of men. This is what God has given to us. And there's still a place for this because I just told you my story. If that minister did not meet me where I'm at, Dwayne Lemon would not have done all the work that Dwayne Lemon has accomplished all these years. It was God who met me where I was. So please don't even let it start in your mind. Oh, can we get over this black thing? You know, or like, you know, can we get over the black thing and the black? Why is it always black, black? Listen, oh, by the way, I am neither Democrat, Republican or independent. I, I thought it was important for me to let you know that. So this is this. I assure you, this has no political uh, persuasion whatsoever. What I'm sharing with you, beloved, is that often we will try to conclude in our minds, black, white, red, yellow, blue. It doesn't matter. And to a degree, I agree with you. But you got to meet people where you got to meet them where they're at. I remember walking by an organization. I dare not say their name. And I remember that they were very <laughs> boastful about their accomplishments. And I said, really? Oh, that's, I said, that's very nice. I said, um, Sacramento. I said, there's a lot of black people over there. I said, what are you doing for the black communities that are over there? It was very interesting to watch how that minister just switched the subject and never answered my question. And I said, what? I said, you guys, because you, you, you're telling, you're singing the praises of what you're doing. And I said, I'm, I'm glad you're able to help people. It's great. But I said, but I, I have a burden for my people, too. And I said, I just, you know, I, I see what you're doing with you and your people, which is great. And your people are my people, too, because, again, I'm, I'm beyond that. One race, many colors. But for common language sake, I said, but what are you doing for those people over there? Because they're really in need. Are you ministering to them? Are you bringing all this wealth of knowledge and wisdom and, and under or overstanding that you have? Are you bringing that over to them? Because they sure could use it. I can organize it. It was very interesting how he got terribly silent. Not silent like in shame or silent in like, oh, I don't really have an answer, but a silent in dismissiveness, which was very clear. And that troubled my heart. And what I'm saying to you, beloved, is that I believe and I wish that this is something that America has acknowledged annually. Black History Month. And I think that it's appropriate, especially if you've got black people in your congregation or what have I think it's very appropriate to say, hey, you know what? We would like to go ahead and give an emphasis and say something. It doesn't have to be divisive. It doesn't have to be insulting one class versus another, but it can be educational and encouraging and uplifting. And the reason why that this is so important is because the struggle continues and the struggle is still very real. If you go to most black communities of which I come from, you will see that many struggles are very, very much still prevalent in the communities. And there's a lot of help that's needed. In fact, you will find that in the black community today, there's a great need for help in legal matters. There's also help being engrafted back into society after imprisonment. That's why what Danny said should be heavily supported. Heavily supported. I've walked those grounds that Danny's on. I walk with Brother Moultrie. Joel, it's always good to see you, brother. It's like, you know, I walk those grounds and I said to myself, I said, Father, if you can accomplish this, we can in a very practical way not only visit the prisoners, as in Matthew 25, but we can help them when they come out because in jail, there's no rehabilitation. It's simply confinement. They are, confi they, they are just held in check, but there's no rehabilitation. And so when they come out, why do, you think the, why do you think the return rate is so high? When they come out of prison, they have nothing. So then when they, what happens is they go back to crime because that was the only way they can get a little something. And then what happens is they go back in those prisons. Could it be that we do something better? Here goes Brother Danny, Brother Moultrie, and others saying, hey, we have a way that God can use us. 
And all it needs is a little financial support of which many of us in this room can make more and more all the time. You can make more. You give up, you make some more. We know how to make money. Some of you, y'all are doing all right. We can make more. But that's a help that's needed. Then education, lessons on trades and business ownership, healthy eating and living, and practical Christian living. These are things that are absolutely needed in many of these communities to date. And it's not enough for us to just have a callous attitude and say, that's not my problem. Because I know somebody, I know somebody who was, I'm going to use human language, I hope you don't mind. I know somebody who was minding their business. And they were in heaven. And then one day, some people real far away from him, some people of a completely different race, they made some really bad decisions called human beings. And we made some pretty sinful choices. And when the news flash came to the Savior, he could have easily said, that's their problem. They created this mess. Let them deal with it. But I'm so thankful that that is never how love responds. God so loved, I will give. May God's love be in our hearts that we will give. Let's go ahead and go through this quickly. Recent news, right? Not very long ago. When we think about legal help, this becomes relevant because do you know every single one of these uh, atrocities that took place, do you know that every single one of these was based on an overextension of law? Overextension of laws. Brianna Taylor, had a, the, the, the police officers had a law backing them up called the no-knock warranty. That, that no-knock warranty allowed, warrant rather, warrant, no-knock warrant, that's the reason why they went to the woman's house and then she ends up getting blown away by the police officers. When you look at George Floyd, of course, police have a right to use force. But we all know, I hope by now, the eight minutes and 40 seconds, was, 40 plus seconds was just completely uncalled for. That was an extension of force that was like, okay, that makes absolutely no sense to have your knee on a man's neck for that period of time. It's an overextension of a right. You have a right to use force as a police officer, absolutely, but there was an overextension of it. Then, Ahmaud Arbery, what was that? Civilians arrest. Civilians arrest. That's why these crazy men were out there with their guns and everything, getting ready to do what they were going to do. It was because they felt, we're going to make a, a citizen's arrest. A citizen's arrest. So in each of these cases, we see some type of legal point existing that needed adjustment so that things can be better exercised and more lives can be saved. And it's interesting because when you study the Bible, you remember in Genesis 41 with Joseph, verse 40, thou shalt be over my house and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Verse 41, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Verse 43, and he made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had, meaning Pharaoh first chariot, Joseph's second chariot. The brother was second in command. Amen. Then it says, uh, which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. So God actually had his people in high places able to establish rules to govern the land, to govern the people. Isn't that nice to see that in the Bible? How about this one? You remember in Daniel 2, 48 and 49, then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. And then Daniel, Daniel was smart. Daniel was like, hold up, you're going to give me power? So the first thing Daniel does is he brings his buddies in. You understand? That's smart. Any of y'all out there? Hey, take a note from that. It then says, then Daniel requested of the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. There are things that God can use some of you in this room, holla, to help in legal matters. How do I know this? Because of this very interesting statement from a person you probably would never expect. Look at what it says. Dear youth, 
What is the aim and purpose of your life? Are you ambitious for education that you may have a name and position in the world? Have you thoughts that you dare not express that you may one day stand upon the summit of intellectual greatness that you may sit in deliberative and what kind of councils? Legislative councils and help to do what? And act laws for the nation. The writer is talking to young people saying, is this what you're trying to do? And I would imagine many of us would expect the writer to give a most startling rebuke. Oh, you worldly young people, can't you just focus on finishing the work as some think? But I wonder what she said. Here's what she said next. There is nothing wrong in these aspirations. You may, every one of you, make your mark. You should be content with no mean attainments. Aim high and spare no pains to reach the standard. Can you imagine that? You see, some of you can be used by God in your professional sphere to help combat laws that go against classes of people. Can you imagine that? You need to be praying, Lord, what would you have me to do? I know one person in this room that God has directed to now go into law. May you be used by God to fulfill things of this nature, my sister. Not only that, this is a friend of mine, you know, fellow elder and uh, from New York. You know what he did, Danny? He bought a house in Lithonia or Stone Mountain, Georgia. And the whole purpose of that house is to take guys who come out of prison and literally bring them into the home and show them how to become upstanding citizens. They educate them. They show them how to get their degrees if they don't have a GED or a college degree. They actually show them how to eat healthy. They actually give Bible studies. It's a requirement to live in the home. They have to go through Bible studies. They learn first, second, third angel. If they came out of prison with broken marriages, they actually show you how to mend broken relationships and to be engrafted back into society, if possible, back to your spouses. There are so many people that came through that house that he invested in that were Muslims and are now Seventh-day Adventist Christians, that were part of other denominations and have joined the movement, broken homes that have come back together, marriages that were broken, and now they came back together. Why? Because somebody took the time to care, to invest the money and care. Could it be that maybe we could do something like this? I understand we all want to put our money together and make investment properties. Brothers and sisters, you don't understand. This is the best investment property. Anything that you put your money in, especially for God's glory, you better believe you have not only insurance, you have assurance. Blessed assurance. Can't go wrong. The bank of heaven will protect it. But it's not only that, <laughs> you know, in hip hop culture, which is ravaging the black community, and I believe in a negative tense because I come from hip hop. I know hip hop very well. I used to say I am hip hop. And in the hip hop community, it's all built upon something called knowledge of self, knowledge of self. And so, you know what? My dear friend Lance and I, we began studying the word of God and we started to look at statements about true knowledge of self. And we ended up getting a program called True Knowledge of Self. Airs on 3ABN on their Dare to Dream network. We did 56 presentations, 56 28 minute presentations. You could actually go to our YouTube channel if you want to watch them all. 56 presentations telling the truth about the hip hop culture and the hip hop community. And when we do that, that's Brother Lance and then myself, and, you know, when we did this thing, brothers and sisters, we had we had people in the prison reaching out to us and saying, man, I didn't know this. Because, again, remember, once the shackles are removed from the hand, they have to be removed from where? From that mind. So we began to impart education, true knowledge of self, helping them understand where do they really stand as individuals? Where do they stand in Christ, etc.? And it busts the doors wide open, emails and messages from all over. People being made free, understanding better, doing better, education, education, starting when they're young, caring enough to going into the communities.
and impart the education that's needed to teach, to instruct, to help them understand all of these things. And then trades. This is the work that we are called to do. We need like never before. Do you know tradesmen right now are actually struggling because they have so much work and they can't handle the workload and they're trying to find young people that will take on trades and they're actually struggling finding young people that are interested. So do you understand that there's a whole bunch of trades out there? This one, this one article I found on PBS NewsHours, it was incredible. The guy literally said, despite rising salaries, the skilled labor shortage is getting worse. Literally, he was saying, as plumbers, he, said, he says, if anybody comes under me, they will make 200000 a year. Very easy. 200000 He was like, as a, as a plumber, can you imagine that? These guys are charging through the roof. 30, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 an hour and all the rest. It, it's their time. It is their time. But trades, showing them how to own businesses. Some of you are tradesmen and tradeswomen in this room. You, this is something we can contribute to a community. And we can help in mighty and marvelous ways. How many of you have seen this uh, documentary? Brothers and sisters, I got the perfect after sunset event. Get the popcorn. Get the nutritional yeast flakes if you eat it. Get a smoothie out. Make it thick. Go to Amazon Prime. And even if you got to pay for it, rent this movie, Mully. This is a story of a man who grew up poor in Kenya, desperately poor. And he ends up not only growing up poor, but they show how he began knocking on doors looking for help. Eventually, an Indian family takes him in, hires him to be a servant for them, work in the field. Before you know it, they end up making him a manager in the field. And then he meets his wife in the field. And then after that, he starts realizing, I'm making a good amount of money. So he buys a bus. And then he buys a bus. And then after he buys the bus, he realizes, wait a minute, if one bus is making all this money, maybe I can get another bus and another and another. And he becomes perhaps one of the richest multimillionaires in Kenya. And then something happens. I'm not telling you. You got to watch it. I'm really good for cliffhangers. I'm good for cliffhangers. It's one of my gifts. One of my gifts is I'll, I'll leave you right on the cliff. <laughs> I will leave you right on the cliff. So you got to go watch it. Seriously, tonight at the sunset, Mully. Beautiful story. Beautiful story of just how God can work through us and accomplish great things for his name's honor and glory. COVID ravaged the black community probably more than any other community when it came to deaths, the CDC says. Our people are very unhealthy. This is known as the quote unquote soul food. All right. And, uh, you know, one thing, what do you, what do you see? What do you see constantly, right? Fried, 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 French fries. It's like, it's everywhere. And we're wondering why all the obesity and heart disease and diabetes type 2 and the list goes on. Why is that happening? Somebody got to love and care enough to just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take you from sad to glad. Sad standard American diet, glad God's life activating diet. Amen. It's like you take them from sad to glad. But you got to know, you got to care, right? We got to care. We got to say, recognize the problem and then do all that we can to help speak to the problem. Why is this so important? Because at the end of the day, let's pick up our Bibles and go to Galatians 3 to close. At the end of the day, God wants us to remember this. There's a great work to be done. It's actually not merely in the black communities. I give emphasis to the black community because we're in Black History Month. And there's a lot that can be done for the honor and glory of God and for the betterment of our fellow man. But I want you to see something that the Bible says in the book of Galatians. We're considering chapter 3, and I want us to go ahead and look at verse 28. Galatians chapter 3, 
in verse 28, because this love and this compassion that God wants us to give to this community is not limited to this community because there's something God is trying to get across to all of his people. We meet people where they're at, but then we do what we can to take them higher. Here is the higher ground. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, the Bible says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all what? One in Christ Jesus. God wants us to maintain our diversity. There are areas in our lives that you are uniquely you. There are areas in our lives that our cultures are uniquely our cultures. And God, to a degree, permits all of this. But he wants us to remember that if any man be in Christ, we are also new creatures that have entered a new culture. And that culture is a superior culture. And that culture is called Christianity. And in this culture, God says, we are all one. There's no big and there's no small. There is no superior and there is no inferior. God wants us to understand that there's a unity that he wants to bring among us. So what's the goal? The goal is not to go into black communities to help them stay black. The goal is not to go into a white community to help them stay white. The goal is not to go into any community to help them stay who they are. The goal is that we all might become one in Christ. You meet the people where they're at, but the goal is to take them on higher ground. And what we just read, that's the higher ground. Because I can assure you there'll be no one at at the gates looking for the black card or the white card or any other cards that any of us may possess. But God is going to be looking for something that transcends all colors. He's going to be looking for character. And that character is what Jesus is offering to each and every one of us. And so I am so thankful because to me, this beautiful picture of what we are today, it's a picture of the beauty of unity in diversity. We are very diverse in this room, but the reality is, is we're still united in Christ. And Jesus is that source of that unity. My hope and my prayer is that while we do not merge ourselves into other classes and cultures and otherwise, By the grace of God, may we merge ourselves into Christ and become everything he's called us to be. And I believe that if we are determined to do that, God will accomplish great things for his name's honor and glory and also in your personal lives and in your homes. My hope and prayer is this. The first appeal that I make to you is number one, understanding that there is a unique need. There's a unique need. The unique need is that right now, Black History Month is still relevant because there are still some shackles on the brains of even my own people that they need to be made free from. But there's going to need to be a class of people that's going to be willing to care enough to say, hey, I'm willing to do something in that community, not just outside of, not just in my own. And so my first appeal is simply this. If God were to call you to say, I want to use you to work in communities that maybe you're not either familiar or comfortable in, but he has a place for you that you can work. How many of you would be willing to say, Lord, not my will, thy will be done? If that's you, please stand to your feet with me. And I'm very serious about my appeal because this church, I believe God is going to do great things, great things through this church. And there's no one man or one woman that's going to get it done. This is going to be through a combined faithful effort of God's people. And that's why you're standing. But brothers and sisters, the first unity God wants to have is between you and him. The Bible makes it very clear that sin is the issue. Sin is the issue. And if there be any of us that you know that there are darling sins in your life that you have not surrendered to Christ, that's frustrating the unity. Because you need Jesus to do the work he's called you to do. And so I dare not ask you, let's go and do the work without making sure, first and foremost, our hearts are united with Christ. And so if there's any idol that you have identified in your life that is keeping you from a true heart surrender, and you're you're just simply saying, Pastor, pray for me. I got some idols in my life that I really want victory over. I wonder how many of us would be bold enough to just slip our hand in here and say, yeah, that's me. Remember me in prayer. Is there anybody who says that? Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Loving Father, you have heard your people. You have seen 
Their hands go up. You know the hearts of every individual. Lord, I'm thankful that you've given us times like these in which we can discuss realities of what's going on in communities that are right next to us, right around us. But more importantly, how you can use us to help and to be of an encouragement and build up rather than tear down. There's more than enough of that being done already. And so, Lord, as my brothers and sisters stood up and Father, you know, I'm standing before you. Please, Lord, use us. But first, help us to be settled in our hearts of our differences with you. I pray, Father, that as the hands were raised, recognizing the idols, Lord, you have power to cut the heads and hands and every piece of the idols and turn them into dust. I pray that you would do so in our lives and help us to cooperate with you. And may truly we not only just repeat the words for repetition, but may it be the sentiment of our heart when we say, not my will, but thy will be done. This is our prayer that we do ask in the worthy and mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Let everyone say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.